Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the program, Pete Callender. The Pete Callender Show, News Talk 1110 wbt 704-570-1110, and 1-800-WBT-1110. You can email Pete at thepetecallendershow.com. Also remember, follow the podcast at wbt.com. So by all evidence... Ketanji Brown Jackson's nomination to the Supreme Court is going to be a shoe in That's what I said yesterday. Um, so I'm not not going to go, well, I've got a lot of audio. I do have a lot of audio, but I tend to over-prep. So we're probably not going to get to it all, just full disclosure. Um, but I have, I would be very, very surprised if she doesn't get appointed. Not because she's supremely qualified, but because her nomination, as the press reminds us in every headline, is historic. Issuesandinsights.com, their editorial board, making this point. Yes, there are and have been black justices. There have been women justices, but never, ever a black woman justice who would dare stand in the way of history. Except, of course, Democrats when it was a Republican black female judge. But I digress. President Joe Biden assumed that by checking all the correct woke boxes, his candidate could escape the sort of vicious scrutiny and rumor-mongering, character-destroying attacks visited upon Republican nominees, apparently forgetting Democratic nominees always get a free pass from the media and from genteel Republicans. Never, now that I think about it, actually, this show is historic. Right now, this is historic. You're, you're part of the history because this is live and this will never happen again at this time in this manner. This is historic. Nobody can ever oppose me, though. That's with it. Those are the rules. If you oppose me, you're racist. Nevertheless, the editorial, uh, editors at Issues and Insights continue, if Democrats want to at least give the appearance of fairness, they should ask Jackson the same questions they asked the last two Republican nominees to the court. And we're not talking about silly questions that might reveal, you know, her judicial philosophy. No, no, like, we want to know who or what is Lowenbrow. That's what we need to know. Is that a classmate? A secret party place? Is it related to the devil's triangle? Or some type of boofing? By the way, is it pronounced boof or boof? Boof. How do you pronounce that word? Since you became a legal adult, Judge Jackson, have you ever made unwanted requests for sexual favors or committed any physical or verbal harassment or assault of a sexual nature? That would be a fair question, right? They asked that of Kavanaugh. Have you ever passed out from drinking? Vital. This is a vital question. These are the Democrats' questions that they asked of Republican nominees, so... We, we know they want to be probably, you know, consistent in their application of a standard. No, they play Calvin Ball. I was describing this term to Mark Garrison. It comes from the old Calvin and Hobbes cartoon strip uh, where the two characters, Calvin and his imaginary, you know, his stuffed animal that then became a real tiger, Hobbes, and they would play this game called Calvin Ball where they would just make up the rules as they went along. And that's kind of where we are with this stuff. What do you consider to be too many beers? How many is too many? 
That's the kind of question we need to know of our Supreme Court nominees. Was there ever a time when you drank so much that you could not remember what happened or part of what happened the night before? Do you believe Anita Hill? Do you agree that it's possible for men to both be friends with some women and treat other women badly? You know what that was about. That was when all of the women came to Brett Kavanaugh's defense saying, the guy's a complete gentleman, kind of a bit of a square if you ask me, but they came to his defense and so the Democrat response was, well, it's possible actually to be friends with women while also raping them in, as part of a gang activity. How about, do you believe climate change is happening and is threatening the air that we breathe and the water we drink? We need to know these things. Democrats do. They thought it was very important to know these things. But for some reason, they don't seem as interested to know these things about their candidate. But when you have people that put out actual questions about judicial philosophy and Joel Pollack over at Breitbart News, he put together a, a list. Um, do you believe current penalties for sex offenders are too harsh? And why did this come up? Well, because she has a bit of a reputation in, I think, seven different cases where she sentenced child porn convicted uh, defendants, she would sentence them below the uh, minimum sentencing guidelines from the government as codified in law. Why would you do such a thing? Well, take a listen to her answer. I've not yet even heard this, but I have a pretty good idea what it's going to be. As you said, the guideline was based originally on uh, a statutory scheme and on directives, specific directives by Congress at a time in which more serious child pornography offenders were identified based on the volume, mm -hmm. based on the number of photographs that they received in the mail. Mm -hmm. And that made totally total sense before when we didn't have the Internet, when we didn't have distribution. But the way that the guideline is now structured, based on that set of circumstances, is leading to extreme disparities in the system because... It's so easy for people to get volumes of this kind of material now mm -hmm. by computers. Yeah. So it's not doing the work of differentiating who is a more serious offender in the way that it used to. So the commission has taken that into account, and, and perhaps even more importantly, courts are adjusting their sentences in order to account for the changed circumstances. But it says nothing about the court's view of the seriousness of this offense. See, so originally, if you got a hundred pictures of child porn in the mail, then that meant you were like a really bad offender versus someone who just got one. And so when they set about making the, the sentence structure tied to the number of the bad pictures, that doesn't work anymore because now you can get millions of pictures Immediately. And that's way less harmful or something, right? What's this logic? I, I think I'm lost here. But so you so just because someone gets a million and someone gets 30 million, we can't differentiate anymore between the severity of that. Is that what you're saying? Or is it I mean, I don't know. Call me crazy. But if you open up and download 
hundreds of uh, pictures. Oh, I didn't think I was getting that many. Yeah, I, I still don't care. I don't think you should be going below the minimum sentences. But that's what the law says. That's why I'm saying do the law, but follow the law. But, I mean, I'm kind of old-fashioned like that. I believe the lawmakers should make the law, and then the you know the judges should use those laws in the in their practice. That, I mean, I'm old fashioned. I recognize that. News Talk eleven ten ninety nine three WBT. So yesterday, the confirmation hearing opened for Judge Katanji. Brown Jackson or KBJ. And uh, I pulled a couple of clips here from some of the opening statements, which Democrats have uh, now been pointing out, uh, Democrats and, and media, but I repeat myself, they have been pointing out, oh my gosh, these Republicans, they're just making speeches and grandstanding. Uh, yeah, that's literally the only reason for the cameras being in there at this point. Yes, everybody wants their clip to go viral. That's Democrats did the same thing during the Kavanaugh hearing and the uh, the ACB, the Amy Coney Barrett hearing and the Gorsuch hearing. This is what the minority party does. This is a part of our politics now. This is why a lot of people on the left hate Madison Cawthorn as well. I mean, for several reasons, but that's one of the things as well. And I think I'm going to get to some stuff with Madison Cawthorn later on in the program. But let me start here. This is... Uh, Senator Mike Lee. You bring to the court, as I mentioned to you last week, um, a, a unique set of, uh, uh, of experiences. If you're confirmed, you will be someone who has served at all three levels of the federal judiciary. And as a result of that, you'll have a perspective that's different than that of most who have served on that court uh, during the modern era. And uh, I, I appreciate your willingness to be considered and to be here to talk to us uh, about our questions. I echo what uh, many of my colleagues have said today in that uh, I am dedicated, as I always have been, to making sure that these hearings are respectful. Uh, engaging in the politics of personal destruction is not something we should ever aspire to. It is something that has occurred uh, on this committee in the context of Supreme Court nominations. I'm pleased to say that it has never been uh, under Republican leadership that such attacks have occurred, and I intend to make sure that this hearing is no exception to that. There are a few reasons for that. First and foremost, the most obvious, is that uh, respect to human beings requires it. Secondly, it's important because if we focus on personal attacks, that means we will be betraying our duty under the Constitution and to our constituents to make sure that we do our jobs fairly and properly. When we're focused on things that we have no business doing, like bringing forward spurious, last-minute, uncorroborated accusations of a personal nature, we neglect the importance of talking about the jurisprudential role, the, the, the philosophy that guides individual jurists, and the document that we're all sworn to uphold and protect the Constitution of the United States. It's also important for an additional reason, a third reason. It has to do with the fact that having been nominated to this position, we know that you stand a, a, a very decent likelihood of ultimately being confirmed to this position, in which case you'll serve as a member of the Supreme Court of the United States. And I think it's important that 
even when, especially when, we disagree with decisions issued by that tribunal, we as a, as a committee, as the Senate Judiciary Committee, not engage in speech or behavior that would undermine the legitimacy of the Supreme Court of the United States. You see, it's the legitimacy of the courts that gives them their potence, their, their power, their significance in our system of government. We all have a duty to make sure that we don't undermine that very thing that we purport to be protecting. Right. That is the key part. And the attacks on particularly Brett Kavanaugh, to a much lesser extent Amy Coney Barrett, served the purpose of delegitimizing any ruling that he signs off on, any opinion that he writes that he gets others to join him on. Now the left, oh, that's just Kavanaugh. That's what they'll say. That's what they do say. That's why this judge, Katanji Brown-Jackson, she gets fawning media coverage. Members of the legacy media, David Rutz at Fox News writes that they have offered vastly different coverage between the ongoing Supreme Court uh, confirmation of Judge KBJ and the 2020 confirmation of Justice ACB, Amy Coney Barrett. Jackson, according to the New York Times editorial board, called it a cause for celebration. But for Barrett, the board lamented her deeply conservative views and that she'd been anointed by the conservative Federalist Society. Over at MSNBC, Nicole Wallace called Jackson an, quote, overwhelmingly qualified pick, but suggested Barrett was a, quote, real right-wing lunatic. ABC's Good Morning America celebrated Jackson's history-making nomination. They put on a puff piece about her. Meanwhile, they attempted to link a Christian group to which Barrett belonged to The Handmaid's Tale. CNN personality celebrated Jackson's confirmation as a great day for history to be made while deriding Barrett as the full Trump program. CBS praised her life story, but for Barrett, the network warned about her strong anti-abortion rights views and how her confirmation would move the court to the right for a generation. It's about delegitimizing future opinions and rulings. They couldn't stop Amy Coney Barrett. They couldn't stop Brett Kavanaugh, though they tried. They almost did. So when you can't stop them, you know they're going to be there. Well, now you can have your followers just ignore and ridicule everything that they do from then on out. It delegitimizes the court. And Republicans are not going to engage in that kind of behavior with this justice, with this judge. And I think that's to their credit, by the way. News Talk 1110-993-WBT, 704-570-1110. Look out, Sheldon Whitehouse has charts and graphs up again of dark money. Dark money in the Supreme Court process. Oh, he's got another one. What does that one say? $400 million. $400 million. All righty, Sheldon. I always think of when Harry met Sally when I see him. (laughs) But that was not Sheldon. It was Sherman. But I digress. Senator Ted Cruz, uh, he used his time, according to Matt Margolis at PJ Media, to absolutely destroy the Democrats for their past reprehensible behavior and assured Jackson that Republicans would treat her more respectfully and fairly 
than Democrats have treated Republican nominees. Let's take a listen to Ted Cruz. Just a moment ago, my colleague Senator Klobuchar said we should consider the Supreme Court's place in our democracy. Well, starting in the 60s and 70s, the Supreme Court decided its place in our democracy, at least too many justices, was to set aside the democratic decisions of the people Mm -hmm. and instead to mandate the policy outcomes they themselves supported. True. Our Democratic colleagues want the Supreme Court to be anti-democratic. True. Our Democratic colleagues get frustrated with the democratic process. When they can't pass gun control laws because the American people don't support them, they want unelected judges to mandate those same laws instead. True. Law after law after law that they can't get through the democratic process, the Democrats have decided it's much simpler to convince five lawyers in black robes than to try to convince 330 million Americans. That's my line. I say that. That is why Supreme Court confirmation hearings have become so contentious, is because the Supreme Court has arrogated to itself a responsibility the Constitution doesn't give it, which is to make contested policy decisions and take them away from the American people. True. Absolutely. Now, what should this hearing be and what should it not be? Well, you've heard a number of members on the Republican side of the aisle quite clear on what it should not be. This will not be a political circus. Oh. This will not be the kind of character smear that, sadly, our Democratic colleagues have gotten very good at. And it's important to note, you know, a couple of years ago, I was doing my weekly podcast, and I was on with a... Are you promoting your podcast? ...who made a comment, something to the effect of, well, both sides do this. Both sides smear Supreme Court justices. False. And I was forced to laugh out loud and say, look, I understand that's a pretty good talking point. It just happens not to be true. It is only one side of the aisle, the Democratic aisle, that went so into the gutter with Judge Robert Bork that they invented a new verb to Bork someone. It is only one side of the aisle that with Justice Clarence Thomas was so reprehensible that is... The president who nominated him, President George Herbert Walker Bush, wrote at the time, quote, what's happening to Clarence Thomas is just plain horrible. All the groups that tried to beat him up on abortion or affirmative action have now come out of the woodwork. They are trying to destroy a decent man. This is an ugly process, and one can see clearly why so many good people elect to stay out of public life. Mm -hmm. As Justice Thomas observed in that hearing, What happened there was, to use his words, a high-tech lynching. And I would note the chairman who presided over that disgrace was Joe Biden. True. And then most of the members of this committee remember the confirmation hearing of Brett Kavanaugh. One of the lowest moments in the history of this committee. Where Democrats on this committee sat on allegations, didn't refer them to the FBI, didn't ask for investigations, hid them, and then leaked them against the wishes of the complainant. And we began a circus that featured Spartacus moments, (laughs) featured such nuts as Michael Avenatti, whom CNN breathlessly for some months described as a possible Democratic presidential candidate. That's True. before, presumably, he became a felon in recent months. Oh. 
Judge Jackson, I can assure you that your hearing will feature none of that disgraceful behavior. No one is going to inquire into your teenage dating habits. No one is going to ask you with mock severity, do you like beer? Fair. It's all fair. It is all fair. By the way, Patrick Leahy had a response today that I saw. But first, uh, yeah, I got, uh, yeah, I have time. Cruz said they're going to focus on substance and issues and her record. It is no longer the case that Supreme Court confirmation hearings are merely about qualifications. There are some who say, well, if the justice is qualified, the Senate should confirm. There was a time that was the case. Our Democratic colleagues have abandoned that standard long ago. True. Our Democratic colleagues, then-Senator Joe Biden, was perfectly happy to vote against John Roberts, someone who was unquestionably qualified for the court. He was perfectly happy to vote against Sam Alito, someone who was unquestionably qualified for the court. And indeed, every member of our Democratic colleagues who was here at the time participated in the first ever filibuster of a Supreme Court justice on partisan lines with Justice Neil Gorsuch. True. They did so for someone unquestionably qualified, but they had a political agenda, and so every one of them happily filibustered Justice Gorsuch. Likewise, it's not about race. We will see Democrats in the media suggest that any senator that is skeptical of your nomination, that questions you vigorously, or that dares to vote against you must somehow harbor racial animus. If that were the standard, I would note we are sitting on a committee where multiple members of this committee, the senior Democrats in the committee, happily filibustered Judge Janice Rogers Brown. True. A very qualified African-American woman nominated to the D.C. Circuit. And they did so precisely because they wanted to prevent Judge Brown from becoming Justice Brown, the first African-American woman. Joe Biden was among the Democrats filibustering the first African-American woman nominated to the D.C. Circuit. But he cares now. Senior Democrats on this committee also filibustered Miguel Estrada. As the staff for Senator Ted Kennedy said in writing at the time, the Democrats filibustered Miguel Estrada, quote, because he is Hispanic. They were explicitly racial. If you dare... If you are Hispanic or African-American and you dare depart from their political orthodoxy, they will crush you, they will attack you, they will slander you, they will filibuster you. True, 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 true. See, we played the Black Keys here because you probably just ate something. Now you're getting a little sleepy. You got to get back on the job. So you're welcome. You know, get, you, get your blood pumping. So Ted Cruz says that they're going to interview and interrogate or question the nominee for the Supreme Court about the issues. But fundamentally, he kind of ties them all together into this sort of general category of will you protect liberty or restrict it. And I think that's I think that's a very good shorthand for what they're going to be asking about and that's what all of this judicial philosophy gets down to. 
because we could not possibly know all of the different ways a case may be argued, the facts of the case, that ends up getting to the Supreme Court. And if we have an idea of your general philosophy, then we can have some level of comfort that you're not going to legislate from the bench. Now, I will tell you my full-on bias here is that because this woman is backed by demand justice, I assume she will, in fact, legislate from the bench. She will write legal opinions justifying whatever outcomes she wants, and she'll sign on to similar. That's just because of who's backing her. That's how little confidence I have in the modern legal left. Next up is Ben Sass. We heard a little bit of his comments yesterday while he was delivering them, but this is the second part of his opening statement where he says that the hearings are often a staging ground for nasty personal attacks. We started down this road of character assassination in the 1980s with Judge Bork's hearings, and senators have been engaged in disgusting theatrics ever since. The most recent Supreme Court nominee was subjected to repeated accusations that were nothing more than unfiltered religious bigotry against her. The nominee before her was accused of serial rape, uh, aided by members of this committee. If this process were conducted in good faith, Miguel Estrada and Janice Rogers Brown might well be on the Supreme Court today, but their opponents lied and bullied rather than accepted principled minority judges. We've gotten so used to this kind of bullying that two years ago, the current Senate Majority Leader stood on the steps of the United States Capitol and screamed threats against two sitting justices of the Supreme Court that they would, quote, reap the whirlwind if they ruled in a way that didn't align with Chuck Schumer's political preferences. That's weird. We should all be able to pause and say, that's weird. That kind of behavior shouldn't happen. That's weird. That shouldn't happen. This process is broken, but it's a product of a broader brokenness in the erosion of our constitutional structure. A lot of people are willing to take a sledgehammer to the structure if it offers them a quick political win. And it's no coincidence that as more of us embrace an ends justifies the means philosophy of our jobs, which are supposed to be jobs of public trust, our politics becomes uglier, more brutal, and more pathological. Well, we have an opportunity today to do something different, and we can demonstrate that the Congress can carry out its constitutional duty responsibly without a lot of that past ugliness. Judge Jackson has served for the last nine months on the prestigious U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. And before that, you spent eight years on the D.C. District Court. She has a long record of public service and a long roster of colleagues and friends who will testify to her professionalism. The president believes that she should have a lifetime seat on the Supreme Court, and it's the job of this body to evaluate that recommendation on its merits. So what should we be looking for? We should start with judicial philosophy. The Senate should have a good sense of the principles that will guide a nominee's decision-making on the bench. A robust and thorough judicial philosophy can help, help us understand how, when faced with difficult or unprecedented decisions, as the court occasionally is, and I would just like to compliment Senator Coons a minute ago mentioning that a huge, huge share of decisions that come out of the Supreme Court are actually nine to zero. They just tend to not be the ones that make the headlines, but they're incredibly important. Um, and the public trust that we need to restore in all three branches of government would be well served by us paying more attention to some of those uh, nine zero decisions. But the ones that tend to be most contentious and the ones that tend to generate the most headlines are the occasions where judges have to figure out what they do in areas which are gray and ambiguous, right. where the law might not be clear. And so 
it make, it's incredibly important for a judge to tell us how she or he works out those principles in times that are, are new and confusing. But what if those principles would lead her to not get confirmed? Then she probably doesn't want to say, right? I mean, there is an incentive to keeping your mouth shut here. This will make their rulings more durable and sound, and it will help rebuild public trust um, in the court and in the government more generally. Unfortunately, too many of the court's decisions do not rest on solid constitutional foundations and reliable legal reasoning. Justices have too often written decisions to claim partisan policy victories and then retrofit bad legal reasoning or political decision-making to justify that ruling. Some of the most divisive cases in the court's recent history fit that bill. True. Oh. True. Yeah. This, this is... Undermine my confidence in the court. That's why I've been calling them lawyers in robes. I, they they lack credibility when they Calvin ball this stuff. Oh, look at that. All right, so uh, CNN. Uh, CNN, uh, in order to defend Judge KBJ's record on child porn sentences, CNN turns to their resident expert on pornography. That would be Jeffrey Tubin. Except it's not even a joke. It's like literally they have Jeffrey Tubin on to talk about the child porn. Oh, that's not a good look. Not a good look, CNN. All right, I got one more clip here. This is Tom Tillis. But at the end of the week, I'll ultimately have to conclude whether or not I'm comfortable with putting someone in a lifetime position and whether that person is likely to have the kind of philosophy that I want. I've told Justice Gorsuch, Justice Kavanaugh, and Justice Barrett, that I hope and I expected that they would take opinions that would make me mad. And that's okay. I just want to know that they do it for the right reason. I don't want an activist at either end of the spectrum, although I think some people, some folks are okay with one end of the spectrum, not the other. If we're talking about preserving the integrity of the court, there's no place on the Supreme Court for judicial activism. And the best thing that we can do here is make sure that we have justices that are going to be stewards of the Constitution, respectful of the measures that we pass out of here, and call those balls and strikes. All right, so that was a little bit of Tom Tillis's comments as well. He said he believes she has a long track record of ethical values, honesty, integrity, and respecting others. All right, news is next.